0: mother
1: oh god mother
2: your mother is an
1: artist i'm not going to suddenly stop doing that because i have children so you
2: never felt that your mother exploited you or used you
1: i took the leap of faith into
3: motherhood i make a better aunt than i would a mother i think
4: my mother she had to make it like she the most she difficult job on the planet she's the mother that sounds like a mother already <laughs> devastated by the death my, my her one mom song. she's gonna
5: kill
0: me so knowing how to prepare for mother nature's
6: fury can actually save oh, you Barack
4: Obama hated
5: his mother mama I love you and we're gonna celebrate all hour with
7: a
3: cake So I just got called by the midwife at the Brooklyn Birthing Center and there is a mom in labor coming in. So right now I am packing my bag, my birth bag, to take down with me to work and I put a stethoscope in there of my own. I also have a lapel watch that I pin into my shirt so I don't have to look at a watch. My work clothes, just a pair of scrub pants and a t-shirt. And I always make sure I take some good snacks with me because you never know when's the next time you're going to eat once you get pulled into a berth. And I think we're all set. I'm ready to go. So I'm headed out the door. I am Lydia Doublesteen and I currently work as a birth assistant and a doula while I am studying to be a midwife. When I'm in the room, I'm helping to facilitate this bonding. I'm helping to facilitate this breastfeeding, this aspect of my life that I have no context with beyond just my my learning experience and training the relationship that I'm fostering during this immediate postpartum time is something I never had with my adoptive mom. It's something I never had with my birth mom. It's almost like, who am I to even be in this context? Because I have no context to bring with me. It's nothing is here. Why me? And I think all adoptees have that loss of context. All right, I'm here. I'll just call. So my Korean name is Park Hyun. As far as I know, it was just kind of an arbitrary name given by the social worker. But two years ago, two and a half years ago, when I initiated a search for my birth mom, the only thing that they could verify to me is to let me know that her last name was Park as well, so that we did share the same surname. Tween, do you mind if I listen to the baby's heart rate? I first thought about midwifery seriously as a future career the summer before my senior year of high school. I was super interested in international work, so as I looked at more international um, sites that were doing midwifery and training midwives in other countries around the world, they all talked about uh, maternal mortality, and midwives are a key to addressing maternal and infant mortality, um, because no woman ought to die alone, in childbirth especially no woman should die alone giving life. And within my adoption papers, the tiny paragraph that I have about my birth mother, it says she gave birth alone. And that always stood out to me. Mm -hmm. You're so strong. I know that someday I would like to have my own children. And I also think that it will be a very overwhelming and um, very different experience. And I think, will I be able to relate to my mom?
5: Mm-hmm. Really Come on, baby girl, drop.
3: Definitely, she'll be so great for um, just, like, advice and mom, mothering advice. But what about, you know, all the pregnancy advice that you get from your mom or the story that she tells you about your birth and how that may or may not be similar to your own? and That will be absent, and for her, it's something she never had. So is this a tender subject? Is this an awkward subject? Or is it something that we can just kind of embrace full force and just say, we have no idea what this is all about, but this is a new element to our relationship. Let's see what happens. You have so much power. This is all you.
5: You dress like that. Good. Hello. There, hi, little one. (laughs)
0: Yes, oh, oh, <laughs> so she's, right
2: yeah, she's coming. She's coming. You
5: push. Coming.
3: I initiated a search, and the woman that they contacted, she said, "No, I never gave a child for adoption. Um, don't ever call back again. I don't want to talk to you anymore." And there was no even positive confirmation that that was her. It was just kind of a dead end lead.
5: Congratulations. Oh my
0: gosh. Welcome to the
3: world, little one.
5: Oh my
3: gosh. As the part of the search I did write a letter as well. It took me a while to figure oh out what God. I wanted to say. What do
5: you want to know?
2: We're going to, to the baby's heartbeat, okay?
3: In the end, I just wrote something pretty short. I told her why I wanted to be a midwife, what was related oh, to her story. To
1: I'm a get mad a bit? I'm <laughs> first wrap her pack a little bit and kind the of stimulator a little there we, there we go and then i just
3: concluded with please know you'll be warmly welcomed at any time
2: hi ah, that's oh, it yes you are a
3: little
0: mad <laughs> <laughs> being born is hard you were lovely and such a
4: great girl yes you do yes you were so honey <laughs>
0: A lot of adoptees I know have done search and have been given false information or have been told that there isn't any documentation of biological family or after searching it's discovered that their biological family doesn't wish to meet reunite with them and my story is very different
6: that's Skylar Swenson she produced the piece you just heard, and like Lydia, she was adopted from Korea by an American family.
0: When I was um, about 24, I moved to Korea. I bought a one way ticket from New York City to Seoul and figured I'd try to live there and just learn more about my relationship with the country and learn more about where I came from. Skylar stayed in Seoul for a year and a half, and she was working and making friends and
2: learning a lot about the place where she was born. Right, but it was kind of a lonely time for her, partly because she really struggled to fit in there.
0: The thing that really was a dead giveaway of me not being from Korea while I was over there was just my sense of fashion and eating (laughs) ability, (laughs) and, like, in general, just kind of, like, being independent. I think, like, mainstream Korean culture, by the time you're, like, in your mid-20s, expects that you're, like, with a husband, going to have kids— you know, the housewife narrative of like the 1950s in America is very much alive in like Korean culture. I just felt like I always had to be in heels and a dress, which is like not who I am, but like it was, I kind of gave into it a little bit as like more from like a curiosity of like how I would be empowered as a woman in Korea was like through adhering to like some of these standards.
2: Meeting her birth parents was part of Skylar's search for herself when she was in Korea. Yeah, and finding them
6: was the easy part, um, because Skylar's adoption agency kept much, much better records than Lydia's. But what came next was harder for Skylar.
0: I had the most butterflies about just seeing people that looked like me. I've never had that before. And then... When they walked in the door, it wasn't like, oh, my God, there's me. It wasn't. I, know, I guess I wasn't <laughs> sure what I was expecting, but there wasn't, like, such a striking resemblance that it was like, oh, these are clearly my parents. Was it ever, like, awkward in any way? Sort of being... Yeah. yeah. Um, lots of silence, as you can imagine, the language barrier, and just the emotional intensity of it all often left us, you know without words. But, you know, we tried to kind of pantomime and like write things and
2: just kind of physically be around one another. Skylar said growing up, she never really wondered why her parents placed her for adoption. She was generally told that they couldn't afford to care for her. that, That was it. But then when she met them, literally the first thing that my father
0: said to me was in korean i'm sure you're wondering why we placed you for adoption and it's because when you were born we couldn't afford other children and also you were born female not male um i'm still kind of like sitting with that additional information and not knowing how to process that or how i feel about it um it seems like such a weird other factor in my like circumstances (laughs) that it's hard to wrap my head around. But I also, like, am who I am today because of everything that's happened. So I I don't, like, feel anger or resentment or um, shame in that decision that was made for me based on gender. I think I was more just, like, approaching this reunion with the hope that they would know that that decision was one that resulted in me being a healthy, like, adult who had, like, the life that I would assume maybe they had wanted for me. I mean, who knows? There's a lot kind of, like, loaded in that assumption of, like, a better life in America, which is hard to process now as an adult as I've become more aware of like systems of like colonization and the loss of being raised in America with white parents of like uh, a sense of self and I think yeah going back to Korea was a big part of figuring that out just physically like seeing the people who like gave me life and the town where I was born and the country and culture where I came from, um, that was tremendously yeah fulfilling. I, mean, I literally know where I'm from now.
6: OK, we have one more Korean adoption story. Uh, Alex is your friend, Amy, so do you want to introduce him?
2: Yes actually alex is an amazing radio producer and a friend and he was also adopted from korea as a baby and unlike skyler's alex's adoption agency did not keep very good records there
4: was two sentences in my file about her we know her first name we know that she was i believe she was 20 or 21 years old when i was born and she was a university student and the only hobby that's listed in this file is bowling apparently she liked bowling And the only two sentences besides that in the description are, the mother met the father on the way home from work one day. She never knew his name.
2: So Alex hasn't been able to find his birth mother yet, but he does visit Korea occasionally. And in part for similar reasons as Skylar, just to learn more about himself and the place where he was born. And when he goes there, he goes to a place that houses young unmarried women who are pregnant and also the babies that they place for adoption
4: and this place is called iwa the iwa baby center um and another name for the english name is like home for young moms because in korea being like a single mom is like the worst thing you could be in your shot from society that's changing but not that quickly so basically this place in one part was a shelter for these women who were, like, outcasted from society. And they all, they're basically a bunch of, like, teenage to the oldest, early 20-year-old women who all lived together in this house.
2: And that's a big deal, the unmarried part. Single mothers have it rough everywhere, but in Korea, it seems particularly tough. Yeah, because single moms in Korea are often shunned by their families and there's a
6: lot of discrimination against them and not really any help from the government or any other entities. And if you think about it, Lydia and Skylar and Alex, they're all about the same age, uh, all born during the 80s, which incidentally was during the largest adoption exodus from one country in the history of the world. Over six decades, starting in the mid-1950s after the Korean War, at least 200,000 Korean children were adopted
2: outside of Korea. And most of them ended up in the U.S. Right. And there's a lot of reasons why this was happening.
6: Right. Yeah. So there were things going on in Korea and things going on in the U.S. Like, for instance, in Korea, they set up a special adoption law which created a legal framework for adoption. And set up agencies who were very good at processing a lot of adoptions. So basically the Korean government fast tracked adoptions out outside of the country.
2: And these four agencies, which the government set up, were making a lot of money doing these adoptions. So anytime you're going to incentivize something to happen with money, it usually happens more.
6: Right. But there were some other incentives at work as well. For instance, single moms in Korea were not really able to get much support from the government. So they're pretty much on their own. And they also experienced a ton of social stigma from their families, from employers, you name it. So, I mean, one consequence of that could have been that a lot of unmarried mothers place their children up for adoption. And it's hard to quantify that, of course, but I did find a New York Times article from 2009 that had some data from the Korean government and according to that article, of the unmarried women who gave birth in Korea in 2007, about 70% gave their babies up for adoption.
2: So you're saying 70% of, of unmarried women who had babies placed them for adoption? In 2007.
6: Wow. Yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy, especially if you consider that that year in the U.S., The figure was 1% of unmarried mothers uh, placed their
2: children for abortion. (laughs) Staggering, really, the difference there. I mean, there were a lot of differences, right, between Korea and the United States. I'm sure in 2007, but also going back to when this big exodus was happening. um, Abortion was legal in the United States, so that was happening more. Birth control was more accessible than ever, really, in the United States. And also, single motherhood, was a little bit more doable here. There was less stigma and more support, thanks in large part to women's movements that were happening and the womanist movement and the Mujerista movement. And so all of these things kind of led up to there being a lack of American babies to adopt. So back to Alex. He never found
6: his birth mom, Right. But it sounds like for now he found something else that works for
2: him. Yes. He came up with a really cool way to stay connected with like his roots in Korea. He goes to the Iwa Baby Center, that place that he mentioned, you know, that houses the moms and the babies. Mm, yeah. And he goes there to hold the babies.
4: They put me in the room with like the newest babies, like the babies who are like a week or three weeks like old. And just like sat me down on the ground, put like um, like towel basically on me, like over my arm. And just like handed me a baby and like a bottle. And I kind of just sat there. I was just, this is a lot of what I did there was I would sit there for hours and like change out babies who I was holding and feeding.
2: The reason that, I, that this even came up with me and Alex actually was because when my daughter was first born, he came over to visit me in my apartment. And he just like snatched her out of my arms and was totally comfortable (laughs) holding her. And so many of my friends were just like, you know, I didn't have kids and didn't have experience with babies and were kind of nervous, especially the men in my life. But here comes Alex and just like, you know, grabbed her and was like, and she was totally content and he was totally content. And they were vibing off of each other. And I was like, what is going on? (laughs) And that's when he explained to me that he had this experience of holding all of these infants in this orphanage in Korea?
4: I think I should go like every, you know, five years at least or so. Um, I'm going to make a sweeping statement. I think the world would be a better place if everyone had to volunteer in an orphanage for a period of time.
6: So things are hard for single moms in Korea, that is clear. Um, but. They aren't exactly rosy here.
2: Amy, your mom was single for a while, right? She was. She was single for about eight years. And yeah, I think it was probably pretty tough. As a kid, you kind of understand a little bit that, you know, your family maybe is a little bit different. I'm sure there were particular stigmas she dealt with that I wasn't as conscious of just being a kid.
1: There's so many like stereotypes that you are aware of as as a person who is raising your child on your own. You are well aware of what people think of you.
6: This is our friend Natalie. She's a young journalist here in New York and she's raising
1: her four-year-old daughter Amora on her own. All you'd have to do is like read any mainstream news report about single motherhood and the rise of single mothers and, and how that attributes to poverty. And like if you say like yeah, I'm a single mom, but I have a boyfriend. Like, people are going to be like, mm, oh, yeah, that single mom with her boyfriend. Like, it just, it, it feels like you're going to be judged if you say that.
6: We wondered what it's like these days for a new generation of single moms. So we asked Natalie, and she says there are still a lot of assumptions about single moms floating around, like the ones built into the term
1: single mom. Like, single means, like, it has to identify your your relationship status and... Like you don't introduce yourself as like I'm a single person. Like you know you're not like Hi, my name's Natalie, and I am a single per. Like you don't. That's not how you introduce yourself. You're just so like independent mom. I feel like that creates a better, more precise way to put the way you mother.
6: Natalie's juggling mothering with grad school at Columbia, and she works to support herself and her daughter. But she still worries about the way people judge her.
1: You know, being a young single mom, I've many times wondered, like, if people think, like, I'm her nanny. Like, and people have asked, like, you know, like, oh, is that your daughter? That is your daughter. You know, like, they just want to make sure. And I, I get it. Like, you know, I'm young and have tattoos and and brown and, like, I'm what is significantly lighter than me. And it's just, like... I understand where the confusion comes from, and I think that's part of why I feel like I have to go above and beyond, which maybe it's like s- on some level pretty unhealthy sometimes. But, but and and it kind of sucks because sometimes you're like, don't fuck this up, like don't be the single mom that fucks this up at Columbia, because then they're not gonna ever <laughs> let another single mom in, you know? And I don't know if that fear is real or like one that I conjured up, but it's one that I've thought about a lot. Mm-hmm. Generally, I think we have progressed enough to where I would like to assume, and I want to tell myself as like a mantra that people find single motherhood to be something difficult. And while we're not looking for praise every day, like we're just looking to not be called like welfare queens or like, you know, it's just like we're we're doing our best. And, and I hope that that's what people are thinking. like wow, she must really be doing everything she can do to ensure that this kid is healthy and taken care of, instead of thinking like, "Hmm, wonder where her husband is, wonder what happened to their relationship.
6: So single moms here in the U.S., it's getting better, but there's always stuff that can be improved. I wondered how things have maybe changed in Korea over the decades. And it wasn't able to travel to Korea. That would be awesome, but we don't have travel budgets. Mm. Um, so I couldn't go to Seoul. Instead, I found my way to a Korean church in Flushing, Queens.
5: Uh, it's not just like a bad thing happened. And then I became more independent. And then I have a, some kind of sense of uh, notion how to survive in here. And then I'm teaching my daughter that's good thing for my daughter. As a think I mean, as a young girl in big city, how she's surviving here. So I think it's like also good thing for my daughter, and then to teach her like how to stand by herself and then being independent. Yeah, it's good opportunity to teach her. Right.
6: This is Sina. Uh, she's originally from Korea, but she lives in Queens now, and she's raising her teenage daughter on her own. So. Sina is is actually part of this um, support group for single moms in New York. It's called the Single Parent Alliance of Koreans. And basically, it's it's a group of single moms with their kids. They get together and they celebrate holidays together. It's just a place where the women can kind of lean on each other for support and
2: advice and uh, friendship. That sounds brilliant. That is absolutely brilliant.
6: Yeah. I mean, don't we all kind of need that in some way?
2: (laughs) yeah well everybody needs that but and then when you become a mom like you add another layer of like who you are to who you are and you're like okay now i need like i sometimes i i'm like i i need to talk to a friend who's a mom so i can tell them you know that My kid just figured out how to get out of her crib and I didn't realize it and she went outside and picked up dog poop and like showed me dog poop and I didn't even know I thought she was asleep in her crib. You know, I just need a mom. I sometimes you know, like I need somebody who's not gonna look yeah. at me like I have three heads. And, you know, I, I, I get that like being in community that can be really important in somebody's life. It can really like buoy you. Dude, did Cena and these moms talk about like their specific or unique challenges, especially as Korean single mothers?
6: Yeah, totally. Because, I mean, keep in mind, uh, one, they're single income families. They are supporting their kids alone in New York, Wow, which is just a really, really hard, expensive place to live, period, even if you have two incomes. Um, and then you know, they're all immigrants. um, And for most of them, there's, you know, sort of an issue of learning English and then just being so, so far away from their family. Mm. I think all of them still had most of their family in Korea. I talked to another woman who is also in the group. Her name is Chung Sook. And she told me that it was so hard for her after her husband passed away that she almost gave her son up for adoption. Once I thought
7: about, you know, give up my son, because
6: Sorry.
7: <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. Sorry. yeah, at the time I
2: really survived by myself. Yeah, no. That's just shameful. Like in our community, that that's even something she had to. I know, right? Consider that she had no. She thought she, had, she had, no, had no other recourse. Yes. I mean, oh, lose everything. Ugh. Yeah, so there's
6: there's that aspect of it, which is literally like m- making ends meet. But the women that I talked to in this group, they also said that it's really hard for them because they feel kind of excluded by people in the Korean community here. And then also their families back home in Korea aren't all that supportive of their decision to, to raise their kids alone. Korea is male dominant society. Here's the group's founder.
7: Her name is Mimi Huang. Practically, single moms are shunned from society and her own family. In terms of a single uh, mom, conveys a negative connotation in Korea. You know, they face they face to you know discrimination. They have no s- support socially. Not even government, not even family. Being uh, Choosing, you know, raising a child by her own means, you know, she cut off from the family, society.
2: So when these moms immigrated from Korea, it sounds like the the shunning kind of stayed with them here. Yeah,
6: I mean, maybe it's kind of a give and take. Like maybe the social pressures are a little bit different here. But you're also like in a culture that maybe you're not totally comfortable with yet. Mm. But... Mimi actually said that it was one of the best decisions she ever made, um, and she has no regrets. And she said she thinks, you know, even though there were certain things that were harder here, she thinks it's maybe a little bit easier to be a single mom here in New York than in Korea.
2: Did the other women in the group weigh in on that? Like, did they feel that way? Yeah,
6: I was curious. I mean, that was mm. one of the main things I wanted to ask them, and it was a little tricky for them because most of them hadn't uh, lived in Korea in, in a good decade mm. or more. But I asked them about that, and here's what they said. First, you're going to hear Chung Suk, and then you're going to hear Sina, who's the woman from the very beginning with the church choir.
7: If who has the, the baby without husband, they assume her life is already ruined or, you know, embarrassing. In here the Korean people they really same like in Korea. Still. They still think the same as in yeah, Korea. But I don't care. Yeah. I don't
5: care. Whatever they say, whatever they think. Yeah. But it's now things change a little bit but not very dramatically I believe. Yeah, it's like oh. It's when I say mention it to my parents. Maybe I can just maybe it's one of the options. I can be back with my daughter. They are really, really hesitating to answer. Yes, you can be back with your daughter. No, they didn't. Yeah, they are really really hesitating. But like like even for a visit, it's, uh, my daughter looks a little bit different than like a regular Korean. It's like oh, she's half Korean. So they don't want to say, the, they don't want to say other people how they roll. They really aware what they, what other people think, yeah, so...
2: You know, I'm really impressed by, by the way these women, you know, kind of banded together and figured out what their needs were.
6: Yeah, me too. So let's give them the last word. Here's Sina and Chung Sook and Jackie talking about what they get out of their support group.
5: I meet other, like a single mom, and then I just see and then I, from their story, I encourage, okay, I cannot be naive, they survive. I have to do more, I have to push myself.
7: I just try to find somebody like me, because I really, really, you know, I really, you know, have the hardship. This group is only, I know this one group in here a Korean, a single mother. There is no other group like us.
5: We all go together, cheering up each other and comfort each other. Why? Because uh, we we every day we're living very difficult. That's why we know everybody, each other. Problem, so we're getting together. So over there we have create some new energy.
6: So we have a ton of people to thank for this episode. First of all, Skylar Swenson, who produced that amazing piece. Thank you so much, Skylar, for sharing your work with us. Um, thank you to Lydia Doublestein, uh, who shared her story in that piece, and the Brooklyn Birthing Center, which you also hear
2: in that piece. And the mom who gave birth in that piece, who I don't think we have her name, but thank you to Yeah, so
6: we don't know who she is, but that's amazing that she let us tape that. That is incredible. And thank you also to our friends Alex Lewis and Natalie, a superstar independent mom. Special thanks also to Mimi Huang and all the members of the Single Parents Alliance of Koreans, especially Jackie, Sina, and Chung Sook.
2: And we also want to give a big shout out to Justin Schnarr, who is a graphic designer who made our logo and is now fixing our awful website. You should come back and visit it soon-ish and see what he's done. That's motheratpodcast.com You can also find us on Acast And iTunes, SoundCloud And our Twitter handle is At motheratpodcast
6: Next time on Mother We have a story about the inventor Of the home pregnancy test She's not a scientist She never got any credit for her invention
2: Until now See you then I'm going to push stop but I'm not hanging up Okay? Okay, cool, stop. same here